Hello and welcome to the All Things ADHD podcast. I am your host, Melvin Bogard, and today we're discussing why is untreated ADHD contributing to the increasing suicide rate among Black youth? My guest is Dr. Napoleon Higgins. Welcome to the All Things ADHD podcast. Would you please share a little about yourself? Hello, my name is Dr. Napoleon Higgins. I am a psychiatrist in the Houston, Texas area. I've been in private practice almost close to 20 years now, and I serve a very diverse population, treat a whole host of different mental health issues. But being a black male and from the community, I definitely have an interest uh, in children in this population. So I'm so happy to be here today in Melbourne, and I appreciate Chad for allowing me to be a part of this. Great, let's get started. Historically, suicide has been higher among whites than any other racial group, but the trend is starting to change. What are we seeing now? Well, the scary thing that we're seeing right now is a very high increased rate of suicide in the Black community. And we've seen this trend now for about 20, 30 years. The Surgeon General David Satcher had brought attention to this back when when he was Surgeon General that there's been an increasing rate of suicides in black youth and teenagers. And here we are, you know, 15, 20 years later, and we're still seeing this increasing rate. So this problem has been going on almost, you know, over two decades. It used to be that you did not hear black people killing themselves. Or if you heard of a suicide, you assumed that they were not a black individual. But at this time, that is not the case. And this is a very uh, serious issue in our community. And we need a closer look at what's going on, on why this is occurring and why the trend's not slowing down, but picking up. Well, what are some of the contributing factors? Some of the contributing factors, you know, are, are multifold. So we really don't know any particular single issue. And too often I know in, in, in medicine and research in our society, we want instant answers. You know, we expect that we ordered something that's supposed to be there by 5 p.m. the same day. And really we need to invest time, money, and, and, and the resources and human power to really look closer into what's going on. But some of the issues that we see uh, is the issue of ADHD you know, and learning disabilities. So ADHD and learning disabilities are very important to youth because school is what you do. You do school eight hours a day. And when you struggle with that, there's a problem. The issue of stigma, you know, so far as having an issue, but afraid to go in because of how people may judge or see you. The lack of mental health awareness and understanding that these are disorders that are treatable uh, with therapy, with medication, with interventions. So people not understanding that there are things that you can do to mitigate the issues of mental health. And we need more awareness, more education. And of course, we need more treatment and providers. Are the risk factors for suicide higher in Black males or females? And what age group is most at risk and why? You know, that is a very interesting question there in that we've seen numbers for both increasing both black males and black females across all age ranges. But we've seen a higher risk of suicide in black female teenagers. All right. So black female teenagers have a higher risk than black male teenagers. But both of them have a higher risk than what they had 20 years ago. And the numbers are steadily increasing. Now, when it comes to black youth, you're seeing, and you know, when I'm referring to youth, say between the ages of say five years old up to about 11 or 12 preteen, you're seeing higher numbers of black males when it comes to black youth, when it comes to the black young. So we're seeing these rates across all ages, 
And what's very scary about that is you're seeing it in the youth, you're seeing it in teenagers. And as the youth increase, these same kids will get older. And and so you're looking at the teenage population still increasing. So sadly, right now, there's nothing to show that the trend would be going down. We're only seeing that the trend is going up. And we've seemed to only recognize this as of recent, that it's become more so in the news. But the fact is that Dr. David Satcher uh, had sounded the alarm 20 years ago. So it's great that we're talking about it and we're paying closer attention to what's going on. What are key factors impacting Black children? Some of the key factors you look, I would say, you have to look at the issue of education, issue of finances, issue of racism, images that you see on television and in the news. And sadly, many Black kids do not see themselves in the future. You feel hopeless. You know, you feel like your situation is a situation that will not turn out well for you. So those contributing factors, I think, are a big problem. And that that stress builds up. And I think that people, you know, sadly, Black children are not seeing themselves in the future. And so therefore, sadly, we're looking at um, that hopelessness can lead to despair. And hopeless despair can lead to depression and then the issue of suicide. We look at the financial issues that are going on in the country, that there's a larger and larger split between white households and black households on finances, which then impacts resources and resources then impacts the ability to access resources that you need. So there are multiple layers of this that really go back to the issue of, honestly, systemic racism seen on multiple fronts be it finances, education, families, homes, incarceration, you know, getting in trouble at school, um, the, the images that they see. Then you add on, I'm struggling in school because of ADHD or learning issues. And I'm not being treated, not receiving care. And then the risk continue to grow and grow and grow. So the issue is multifold. You know, it's, it's a multifold issue that we really need to work on. And one of the best things that we could do is educate the community and reach out to these communities to make sure that people are not falling through the cracks on this. What are the warning signs? When we're looking out for warning signs, you want to look out for changes in behavior, especially when it comes to suicidal behavior. It is very rare that a person committed suicide and no one had a clue. All right. So typically there's been some sort of warning. A person said that they don't want to live. They start to do issues of self-harm. There's been a change in their disposition, in their behavior. They may seem to be more depressed, maybe more irritable or more angry, especially when you look at boys. uh, Sadness and crying is not an acceptable emotion too often because of stereotypes. So anger, aggression, poor decision-making, doing things that can get you seriously hurt, you see those types of changes. But normally there's a change in disposition. You know, not going to school, refusing to go to school, grades are dropping real fast, you know, not doing the things they would normally do, like, you know, say if it's an academic issue, sports issue, not engaging with the family, pulling back to themselves. All of that is seen as risk factors for that there is probably something going on that we need to address and need to jump on top of. But too often in the families, families are busy, everybody's running, people are not having the time or can't take the time. Parent is working more than one job because of being on the lower socioeconomic status. Uh, father not in home, only one parent inside the home. The pulling back of resources at school, you know, the pandemic uh, has been a big stress on these kids. 
So, you know, just trying to look out for the changes in behavior. Most people will see that. And the child normally is going to say something to someone. And so it's important that an adult be there and try to make an intervention when possible. What conditions often coexist with ADHD that can increase suicide rates in Black youth? Well, we're, whenever we see ADHD, we have to be concerned about comorbidities. So approximately half of all individuals with ADHD will have another comorbid issue. And a lot of times that's going to be a learning disability. So on top of not being able to focus, now we're having issues with reading or writing or arithmetic or some other, you know, maybe we have dyslexia on top of that. And then, of course, we have to look out for mood disorders, be it depression or even bipolar disorder, uh, issues of anxiety. And sometimes difficulty in school can cause those things to happen. Or if if it's not causing it, can make it even more difficult to treat. So essentially, I'm falling behind my peers. I want to be X. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a journalist. But I'm struggling in English. I'm struggling in history. I'm, I'm struggling in multiple classes, which then you see your life slipping away from you. At that point, you're at risk of not attaining. But also with the issue of being Black, if you don't finish high school, especially if you're a Black male, there's a 70, 80% chance that you're going to be incarcerated. So all is riding on making sure that we take care of not only the ADHD, but the other comorbid issues that either could be caused from the ADHD or even complicated by the ADHD. So it's going to be important to make sure that we're doing a full evaluation of the child so that we can make the best decisions looking at all the factors that are going on and contributing to their overall mental health. Let's talk about impulsivity. Some children and teens with ADHD have impulsive behavior. Now, how does this impact suicidal behavior? If impulsivity is an issue, what steps can a parent take to prevent a child from acting on such an impulse? Very important question. You do see, especially in youth, in younger children, there's a high risk of suicide with an impulsive child. So not only do you have ADHD, learning disability, but now you have the impulsive behavior to do something, all right, and not think things through. So that is an inherent issue. What we could do is make sure you receive treatment and care. You know, the medications work, therapy works. You know, we need to go through the behavioral interventions. I was talking to a young man today who had just finished college working on his PhD, and he was starting to struggle. You know, he was struggling in his PhD in that his innate IQ was not enough to make up for the issues going on in, in his schooling. He had a reading disability as well. So we, we got a letter and they made the accommodations. And once they made the accommodations for his PhD, he did quite well. What were the accommodate accommodations? Instead of giving him time tests where he had a bit of dyslexia, they did oral tests. And when it came to oral tests, he excelled and did very well. So they found that he had the knowledge and information, but he was having difficulty on timed exams, 150 questions in 150 minutes. He was having difficulty demonstrating his knowledge and in, in information level. And now he's like the star PhD student. They have him flying all over the country and all this, all these type of things. And he's basically the poster child of the program simply because they made the accommodations that were needed for him to be able to excel because he was a different type of learner. But at the time, he had a lot of sadness, a lot of depression. He was really upset that he would not become the engineer that he was looking to be because he was not able to do it with the structure that they had given him. But once they changed up the structure, they were found they found that they could help him out a lot. So the point in saying that is 
making the accommodations, getting adequate treatment, uh, identifying the problem uh, is going to be very important in, in decreasing that risk. And oddly enough, he said to me, I should have gotten help a long time ago. This should have happened well before classroom component working on my dissertation. I could have used this help my entire life. So the point is making sure that we identify early and make sure we intervene uh, when it's necessary. What are some treatment interventions for suicidal youth that healthcare professionals have found helpful? Behavior treatments, any medications, things of that nature. When looking at intervention for suicide, you always have to look at the issue of safety. All right. So what is the risk factors involved that this person will complete the suicide? And so if we're suicidal and actively suicidal, then at that point, we're looking at most likely hospitalization because we're trying to keep the individual safe. Realizing suicidal thoughts come and go uh, with medication, with therapeutic intervention, with therapy, uh, better understanding, be being able to work with professionals, most often suicidal thoughts will decrease. So the point is making sure that we make an intervention when it comes to safety, but also making the interventions of what is the acute need of the individual at that time. When it comes to behavioral treatments, a lot of times it's a, lot, a lack of understanding, you know, just better improved understanding of the diagnosis of the illness, what is going on. Uh, a lot of times in inpatient, you're going to receive group therapy. So you're receiving you know, feedback from people who are working with you, working with an individual therapist as well, and looking at where things went wrong and how do we correct that. And sometimes that does require medication. So, you know, medication management, you know, if you have ADHD, let's treat the ADHD. If the ADHD has now progressed to depression, we may need to treat the ADHD and the depression. Realizing that ADHD is quite treatable. 90, 95% of the time, you know, you can get ADHD corrected uh, with medication, but also time management skills, working with the therapist, uh, looking at what you want to accomplish, working through those things, looking at what held you back and how to eliminate that uh, so that you can continue to move forward. So safety, behavioral treatments, and medications, all working in concert, can go a long ways in reducing the suicide risk. That raises another question. Does a child or a teenager need to be depressed to be suicidal? Well, you know, when it comes to suicide, the biggest risk factor is a feeling of hopelessness. All right. So depression in itself can cause you to feel hopeless, a lack of a better way of saying it. It plays a trick on your mind that things won't ever get better. There is no way out of this. You are trapped. So therefore, there's nothing else that you can do. So hopelessness is a serious risk factor, along with depression, realizing that depression produces hopelessness. But ADHD can produce hopelessness or a loss of job, a loss of finances, risk of incarceration, all of those things. You know, so, for example, when thinking about 9-11 and we saw the people jump from the buildings, they weren't jumping from the building because they were depressed. They were jumping because they preferred to die by leaping from the building. All right. Because. One is a quicker death than the slower, painful uh, death by heat. So the, the issue is they weren't depressed. They were hopeless. So trying to give people a sense of hope, and that comes with understanding and intervention, gives the hope back. So too often I've seen where families will be very upset with the child. You know, the parent is doing the best that they can with the resources that they have. They'll, you know, and, and sadly maybe talking down to the child, 
or looking at the issue of ADHD as a character flaw versus a medical issue, right? This is a medical problem and it's a treatable medical problem, but too often it's seen as you're, you're being lazy, you're not working hard enough. Many times people will commit suicide and people will say the person never seemed to be depressed and they may not have ever been depressed. They felt that their situation was hopeless, be it finances was, were hopeless, relationships were hopeless, school was hopeless, you know, homelessness feels very hopeless. A terminal diagnosis, you know, can feel hopeless. So, you know, so the fact is that, yes, many people will not ever seem to be depressed, uh, but they felt like there was no way out of their situation. What are some of the barriers to health care for Black youth? Now, some of the barriers that comes with being a Black youth, stigma, lack of understanding, and a lack of resources, you know, to get the help that you need. So the issue of stigma, fearing that, you know, I've got this label, I'm not going to claim that in the name of Jesus. All of these sayings that people say uh, versus actually dealing with the issue. So we, we've got to understand that stigma is huge and people want to avoid the diagnosis because also when you look at the issue of ADHD, a lot of parents fear that their child will now be labeled and will have limited opportunities. A lot of times people don't believe believe this or it's hard to understand that I will let a, sometimes I'll let a black mother know that her black child has ADHD, especially a black son, and they'll start crying because it's the issue of the label, the name, and what happens to black children who get the diagnosis of ADHD, all right? Well, issues in school, more likely to get in trouble, more likely to, you know, to have academic failure, and more likely to be incarcerated. All of those things go up with the diagnosis. So there's some realness to the parents' fear of the stigma, all right? Now, what I try to explain to them is if we do what we need to do, this does not have to be a problem. So the issue of what is the outcome is how to determine on what do we do on an intervention? Because the outcome doesn't have to be any different than anyone else's life if we intervene. The lack of understanding so often is that the person just doesn't know that there's a such thing as ADHD. You know, they yell, you know, folk yelling at the kid, beating on the kid, taking privileges away from the kid, threatening the kid, everything they know to do to get this child to act right. And they're having difficulty. And you ask the child why, and they say, I don't know. And many times they're trying their best. They're trying 10 times harder than the sibling who's not having problems. And people may not notice that they have ADHD and the issue of the character flaw. And I've seen adults say, you know, when I see the kid, they'll say to themselves, I've had this my whole life. No one has ever explained it that way. And the other issue of missing the diagnosis, you know, diagnosing it as opposition defined disorder, a conduct disorder, something that's more seen as character flaws than actual medical illness, uh, it, it, it's something that we have to be very careful of as well. And then the resources. So we know the child has ADHD, but now I want to go and see the doctor, but it takes three months to get in to see the doctor. Well, we're in February now. If it takes three months to get in, that's March, April, May, school's out. And we fell to fifth grade because we couldn't get in to see anyone, all right? So, and that happens whether you have money or if you don't have money. So if you have a good job with good insurance, it can take three months to get in to see a child psychiatrist. If you are broke, it can take three months to get in to see the county, county psychiatrist. 
So, and then if you do get in to see the psychiatrist, the issue of getting on the medication, uh, the issue of co-pays, insurance companies refusing medication, the back and forth with prior authorizations comes in. And then when it comes to behavioral interventions, especially when it comes to making appointments, that can be very difficult for families. If I'm working by the hour, I'm an essential employee, COVID is going on, and I'm afraid of losing my job, I cannot take my child, I cannot get off work to take my child in, especially when you're looking at single parent homes and families. So it's multifactorial between stigma, lack of understanding, and then even being able to access resources, all the factors and what contributes to this lack of uh, understanding and the barriers to healthcare uh, for Black youth. As a community, how do we help decrease suicide risks? Well, we've got to be able to talk about it. Understanding that too often I hear where people will say, talking about suicide will cause a person to commit suicide. That is not true, all right? What is true, not talking about what's going on and not paying attention and not getting the care you need, all of those are risk factors, all right? So we've got to make sure we pay attention. Now, as myself, a former teacher, you know, I taught school for a hot second, and the teacher is one of the quickest persons to recognize that there's something going on with the child. They're trained in child development. They're around children all the time. You know, they've been teaching for multiple years and seen multiple kids. So it's always important to pay attention to what the teacher says they are noticing about your child. The family, we've got to spend time together. All right, we could be so busy running back and forth. And I know for me and my wife, we're so busy, it's hard to spend time with your child because of all the demands on life professionally uh, and all of those other things. So we've got to make sure that we're spending time with our child uh, and paying attention because I can guarantee you, nobody dies and says, I spent too much time with my children. I I've just never heard that said at a funeral or on somebody's deathbed. They were so upset that they spent so much time with their family. Now, I know people don't like their family, but the fact is that normally time, there's normally a loved one that you wish you would have had more time with. When it comes to healthcare providers, we've got to be accessible, all right? Um, honestly, we need more Black providers. It is shown, statistically, Black patients do better with Black providers. Only one to two percent of psychiatrists are Black. Psychologists is about 2%, social workers about 4%, when Black people are 13% of the population. So no matter how many Black people want to see me, they can't get in to see me because there's only one of me. So we need culturally competent providers, people who understand other cultures. Too often we can walk in our silos and not understand what other people are going through, or sadly be quickly dismissive if somebody sees the world differently than we do. And so too often we see these chatterboxes on television who really don't represent the entire nation, but provocative statements, provocative comments, and things that we hear on social media. So we need to make sure that we have good providers who understand culture and what people are going through. And then your friends, friends pay attention. You know, the fact is that if somebody's saying something that doesn't sound quite right, ring the alarm. But I'll tell people, be careful of believing that you're going to be their mental health provider. They let you know what's going on and you recommend and you suggest, may even find them resources. Here's some names I would recommend that you call or some people that I know, you know, I could be a, a listening ear, but I'm not a therapeutic provider. And nor should you take it on your time and upon your friendship to be their medical provider, because that's not what you do. You know, if a friend says I'm having engine trouble and that smoke coming from underneath the hood, if you don't know anything about cars, I would highly not recommend you tell them to bring your, their car over your house and you're going to pull out your hammer 
and you know, you're hammering nails and fix their car. That is not what you do. All right. I'm here to be a resource. I'm here to drive you to the mechanic. I'll help you get a tow truck to bring the car to a mechanic, but I am not the mechanic. All right. That requires professionals to do that type of care. So we can do a lot of things to help decrease suicide risk. And the most biggest thing is to make sure that we're paying attention on all levels on what we can do to help one another because suicide is such a final issue. The person is gone and we ask ourselves what all we could have done. And, and I tell people, do not blame yourself for someone who passed away. That is not your fault. That is a decision that they made. And there are multiple ways to look at it. You know, they could not deal with the pain. They lost the fight with their medical illness. Oh, it's like if a person has a heart attack and dies, 42-year-old healthy has a heart attack and dies, we don't blame that person for having a heart attack. It's an unfortunate event that occurred because of the illness that they have. And there's a range of emotions that we all go through when we lose a, a close one, someone close to us to suicide. Before we end, is there anything else you would like to add that I have not asked? Well, you know, I, I think you, 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 you've covered this one, you know, so I, I appreciate the, the time and attention to this to this problem. Uh, we've got to get the word out. We've got to talk about it. We've got to understand culture and how all those things cause that. But then we also, we have to look at educating ourselves. We have to look at the laws. We have to look at the resources available from our legislature. All of these things go into the cycle of why we're seeing this increased rate of suicide in Black youth who have ADHD and from all other causes. It's, multi, it's multifold and it has to be worked on in multiple different areas. But what we're truly looking at is a failing of society for these children. And sadly, we continue to see it happen. It's not going forward. Honestly, sometimes you see it going backwards. There were more blacks receiving education in the 1970s than you have right now. There were more black doctors in 1900 by number than you have right now. The finances are slipping for these individuals. And so the issue of hope it, it is falling and you're seeing it in ADHD. You're seeing it in mental health treatment for black children. And we've got to stop the stop the rhetoric and really get at the, the, the serious issues. And what message does that tell to black youth? Realizing suicides are increasing in American black youth, not in the Bahamas, not in Jamaica, not in Nigeria, not in Ghana, not in black people in Sweden. It's American black youth. We have a special level of racism and systemic issues that are going on within our culture that are causing these kids to say, you know what, I'll do as my foreparents did when they committed suicide by jumping off the ships than to live in this situation that we are in right now. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your time. If you're thinking about suicide or worried about a friend or loved one or would like emotional support, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7, free and confidential across the United States at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Thank you for listening to another episode of the All Things ADHD podcast from Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD.